This is Hockey Central 960 with Haley Salvian on your official home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Oh, my goodness. If you could have seen the scene in the studio right now, the last 10 minutes. Again, I'm sorry, but I'm actually not sorry because I'm talking about Taylor Swift tickets again today. I really wish we were recording that whole thing. My mic was hot the whole time and like Logan and Cameron and everyone can just like hear me squealing and cursing and and yelling while I'm trying to find Taylor Swift tickets because there was a presale again today. I tried again. I'm wildly clicking, not even checking the prices, just trying to find two tickets to see a stupid concert and... I waited for an hour in this line, and finally, it's my turn with like five minutes before the show, and I got the tickets, and then I hear in my ear, you've got like 10 seconds before you go live, so the vibes are, the vibes are good today. Wow. The adrenaline rush, it's crazy. I don't even know what seats I'm in. I forget what day this is. Doesn't matter. Do I like Taylor Swift? I don't know. We'll, we'll see in June. Yeah, I'm just kidding. I like it. Good luck to anybody who's trying to do this for your children. That is a big target demographic for Taylor Swift. Wow. Wow. Good start to the day. Logan, what's up? Welcome. Welcome to the show. How's your day going, buddy? Not as good as yours, apparently. This is what we were expecting yesterday. This is what we were hoping for. The vibes were going to be immaculate yesterday. We're going to have a great show, everybody. Uh, what happened in the last two hours? I haven't been paying oh. attention. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Fill me been, in on the hockey world. What's going on? I've been on Ticketmaster. The best thing is, was I heard the little squeal that you put out <laughs> when you when it was like officially official, <laughs> and I immediately flashed back to yesterday, and I was like, I remember when Haley came on and was like, this is stupid. I don't even think pre-sales <laughs> even are like that Taylor cool. Yeah, I don't even like want to go to the concert that bad. I wouldn't even want to spend a thousand dollars. And now this today, is probably she's the like, dumbest thing Ooh. ever. Literally, like desperately clicking on like this ticket six hundred dollars <laughs> doesn't matter. Can I get it? And then obviously, like I'm glad I didn't get it because that is so stupid. Like no, like why would I ever do that? Like, but whatever. This is why you work, I guess. Yeah. So you can like buy food and <laughs> experiences. Go to and concert the- tickets or whatever. Yeah. Whatever. I have to go to Pittsburgh for this. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best part too. <laughs> Just, yeah. just gonna find a place to go now and yeah. fights and hotels and everything else and you'll be good to go. Yeah, whatever. My uh, my parents, so this is in June, and I typically go and hang out with my family in the summers, bring my dog, we go to Niagara-on-the-Lake, and it's only like three and a half hours from my parents, so Pittsburgh makes sense for me because I'm going to be there, hanging out, seeing the fam, do a little road trip. I used to go to Pittsburgh all the time as a kid. That's why I was a Penguins fan because it was just so close. It was like easier to drive to Pittsburgh than to drive to Toronto and cheaper and the team was way better. So it just made sense. Anyways, lots to talk about, about hockey. <laughs> Welcome to hockey central, sure, everybody. Welcome to the this. show. My goodness. Anyways, I was actually sweating. I was getting really nervous and that's why the mic was hot. So I was like, how much time do I have? <laughs> I'm still in the queue. It would have so. been so much better to do it live on air. I know. I, I wish, feel like people would have just turned the that. radio off, though, honestly, because it would have been a ton of dead air, <laughs> words that probably can't be said on the radio, and, like, strange noises. 
Yeah. You know, oh, like, there was a uh, lot of those for sure. Yeah. <laughs> were you guys recording that at all? Like, is there a recording of the like squeal when I got the tickets? We weren't, but now I regret uh, that we didn't. I think that would have been really great. It would have been. This was an early W for me. Um, W's. That's when I'm impressed. That's when I'm impressed. So welcome to Hockey Central on Sports at 960, everybody. We've got lots of hockey talk. Yeah, you might not like Taylor Swift. It's like four minutes of your day. It's fine because we're going to talk about hockey for the rest of the show. We're going to have our weekly Pat chat. Usually it's a Tuesday Pat chat. We kicked him out yesterday because we wanted to talk to Megan Mickelson because she was on the broadcast and she was awesome. She's won more gold medals than Pat and I have. So it's fine. Pat's a little hurt by it, um, but we'll smooth things over when he comes on the show in a little bit. And then we're going to bring on Corey Massasak from The Athletic. He is the San Jose Sharks beat writer at the company. And I'm curious about the Sharks because they're showing signs of improvement after a really bad start to the season. And Eric Carlson is in the headlines because he's having a great season. The fountain of youth is real. It is 2015 for Eric Carlson. Is he going to win his third Norris trophy? Maybe like if I'm the voters and I do typically have a vote with the PHWA. And if he keeps this up throughout the rest of the season, give Eric, I bet Eric Carlson wins his third Norris trophy because everyone's just going to assume like Kale McCarr is going to win a ton of these. Let's give Eric Carlson potentially his last one before the age curve comes in, in full. Like, what do you think? It's one month into the season. We're not handing out trophies right now. But not only is he scoring at an impressive clip, and but, like, he's also having a good defensive impact on the team in terms of, you know, the Sharks are a bad team. <laughs> we know that, despite there have been some some boosts or improvements lately but I do think like the Sharks aren't being as outscored as much when Eric Carlson's on the ice which is what you look for when you're looking at a Norris guy again it's one month it's too soon but what do you think like do you does Eric Carlson have a chance at winning his third Norris trophy I think 100% he does this is like you said I mean 2015 Carlson all over again now the shooting percentage is ridiculous through a month. I don't expect him to be at 18.2% uh, for very much longer. But, I mean, 24 points in in 18 games. He looks – I thought the age curve already hit him. I thought injuries had already caught up to this guy, that San Jose Eric Carlson was going to be good but never quite what he was in Ottawa. You can't – I mean, the guy's like four points back of Leon Dreisaitl this year <laughs> on a team that wasn't supposed to do anything. It's pretty remarkable. I don't know exactly – I'll be curious to hear what Corey has to say because I'm curious what sort of sparked this in Eric Carlson. Mm-hmm. I think there's a little bit of it is just like a health factor. There's probably also something to be said about maybe feeling fresher mentally. We know that Eric Carlson had some like personal difficulties, you know, with with loss of um, children, you know, some some personal issues there, like really sad stuff that's hard and difficult to work through. Um, and in some injury issues, that team wasn't good last year. There was a lot of drama around the San Jose Sharks, too. So maybe with a new coach, um, new GM. Maybe things are feeling a little fresh, young and fresh in San Jose right now. 
You know who else is young and fresh? Pat? DJ, DJ Patty P. DJ Powerplay? It's Pat Steinberg. Uh, thanks for finally joining us after you ditched us last week. Uh, let's Here's Pat Steinberg on the Atlas Pizza guest hotline. <laughs> I'm sorry, Pat. I'm blaming I you. I, bo- I bumped week. you. I know. I, you had a reason. I bumped you for no reason from yesterday. So it's the Wednesday Pat chat. But it's fine. We're okay, right? I'm, I'm good. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. I promised I'd stop I'm talking wonderful. about it, but I got Taylor Swift tickets. Like ten seconds. You got Taylor Swift started. tickets. I did. I did. That's actually. It was an ordeal. That's actually really exciting. I know. Um, I was how freaking did you, out. How did you? Uh, I saw that you were two thousand in line. Yeah. No, it was two thousand plus in line, and then eventually it said you're like nineteen hundred ninety nine or whatever in line. So there, uh, God knows how many people were in front of me. That's, uh, that's I don't really exciting know what news. happened. I blacked out. I haven't. Uh, I have not heard a single song of the new album, um, but I know that people are obsessed with it. So uh, I'm happy for you. That's good news. Yeah, I, I blacked out. I don't even know how much they were. <laughs> I uh, I saw it's how much Blink One Eighty Two tickets were here, and I just said no. I'm I'm not going to do that. I'm going to see how if much I can they? call in a favor or two. Like we're talking, like for for the seats I'd want, they were like four hundred and fifty dollars a ticket. Shut I was like, up! No, no, no. I'm not going not, not to do that. So that's silly. Um, I went to I, Harry Styles I might call for less a than favor that. Or two. Yeah. yeah, you're Pat Steinberg. You should DJ this. Well, set. no, it's 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 local not, celebrity it's not like, Pat Steinberg, right, Pat? <laughs> I'm I'm not. Yeah, yeah. That's the jumbo. Uh, no, I just I uh, I'm going to I, I I have no actual. I I have a friend who works. Uh, at Ticketmaster, so I might I might use my buddy for the first time in a long time. See, I, I will try anyway, and I, I yeah. may fail. Right, it's fine. He may tell me to he may tell me to beat it and say no, get out of here. But I'm gonna at the very least call it. We've been friends for 15 years. I'm yeah, gonna, come I'm on, dude. You gotta get into your old like your little emo self and go and watch Blink 182. I, uh, I, I still, have recently been I still running. Listen to- Oh, yeah. I've been running to like pop punk playlists lately and it's just so much better than any other alternative. That's all that's all that I listen to now is all time low and state. Little Ma- Mariana's and... Trench. Get a little Mariana's um, Trench in there, CanCon. I, I <laughs> enjoy I enjoy I enjoy the CanCon. Like I know Lou Lou loves the Mariana's Trench. Um, really? and uh and and so Surprising. I I enjoy like they're 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 solid. I I saw them. Of course, I saw them. You you may not get this reference as much as other people do, okay. but uh, I'm I, young. Well, <laughs> no, more so because you were only in Calgary for a couple of years, so you didn't, and and you right. weren't really here for a full on stampede. But I saw them a couple times at the Coke stage, and the Coke stage is a very stampede thing, and it's all CanCon. It's like very simple plan, and oh, love um, that, like uh, Lover Boy. Like, there's oh. always a very certain certain type of music that plays the coke stage and Mariana's Trench has played them a couple of times and they're just not the the guy's voice it's just not the same live it uh oh. it sounds different when he's singing live <laughs> so you're saying he's bad <laughs> i different 
it's uh, different right. when right. Uh, when he's singing live. But no, sure. all time low, state champs, Wonder Years, uh, all like the new pop punk. I'm huge into Between You and Me, Waster, like all that type of. I'm a like I'm still pretending I'm 22 years old. Absolutely, that's probably what got me through. That's what's getting me through my runs now. Is I'm like, wow, <laughs> I'm young again. Because I'm listening to Blink, like early 2000s pop punk. It would have been 2010 or 2011. Blink at the Saddle Dome headlined with All American Rejects and Fall Out oh, Boy ooh. as their as the so it, and it was Fun. awesome. Like Fall Out Boy that Under the Cork Tree had just come out and All American so Rejects fun. had just hit it big with uh, with uh, Gives You Hell and Dirty Little Secret and all. It yeah, was I a, loved that it was band. An awesome show. That's awesome. You know what band I've gotten into lately is Pup. And I said we we're gonna get into hockey, but this is fine. This is fine. Pinder, Pinder. I love and, Pup. I'm super uh, into it. Pinder and Jason DeForest, who used to work with us as well, both huge Pup fans. Yeah, I have not gotten into them, and I, I don't. I don't know enough about them, so I don't have an opinion as of yet. But they're starting mm-hmm. to show up on my Apple Music. Like, oh, bands you might like, so they might be next. Yeah, get into it. It's not like a pop punk band, more of like an emo rock. Not really okay. like a grunge band. We're not crossing into Nirvana territory, but they're not pop. They're a little rock, emo. It's good. I like pop. They're good. They're Canadian also. They're from Toronto. Okay. So, anyways, what's going on with the Flames? <laughs> Let's, there's uh, my hard transition. I, I, you they, know, I know uh, one thing that, that you really wanted to get into, Pat, and, and I heard you talking about this on Flames Talk, so I wanted to, to throw it to you a little bit here is looking at the deployment of the top four is a big thing right now because we're looking at guys like Rasmus Anderson and O'Hannafin. They are playing a lot right now, and you don't really like that. Let's let's get into it. What, what do you think? Well, what's going on there? I'm just worried that because they don't have a viable number, and I'm not, I'm not even trying to take a shot at anybody who's given it a try yet. Uh, Connor Mackey, Nick DeSimone, Dennis Gilbert's going to be next, but they have not found a viable six with Michael Stone out. Now, I think Michael Stone is getting close. Um, like I don't think he's he's that okay. far off from returning. Uh, I think there's a possibility Michael might be back on this trip, but um, he's he's not with them. Um, he's not with them now, um, and so they don't, for the time being, have an NHL regular six defenseman, and it just it puts a lot on Tanev who's still returning to the lineup and getting his feet back into on uh, underneath him and it puts a lot on Zadorov and Uyghur and Noah and and Rasmus and I just worry that all that wear and tear that we've seen because this has been something that we've been talking about for better part of two weeks because ever since Stone went down and uh, that was on top of the Tanev injury, like they've been having to be pretty taxed and they've tried it with Mackey and they've tried it with uh, a pairing of Simone and Gilbert and, and nobody has shown that they can play any more than 10 or 11 minutes in a game and that's really putting a lot of onus on that top four and they were going down to four defensemen in the second and third period for a lot of games and even going back to the win over Los Angeles on Monday they were down to five defensemen in the second period and and for the final 40 minutes so I just I worry about wear and tear leading to more injuries and the one thing they can't afford right now is another injury on defense now the good news is again I think Stone is getting a little bit closer to returning so I don't think that's going to be super long long term but 
in saying that, you don't want one of the five that you're really leaning on right now to go down for any period of time. And you know this as well as anybody. Like last year, their calling card or one of their calling cards, one of their biggest strengths was the fact that they could roll six defensemen, three pairings, and do it pretty evenly. The Zadorov and Branson pairing didn't pay, play that much less than Shillington and Tanev did, who didn't play that much less than Hannafin and Anderson did. Like, it was pretty even. They were all in the top three, uh, top ten, rather, for most ice time for defense pairings at five-on-five five in the NHL. Like, that's unheard of. And I'm not saying that we thought that that was going to continue this year because there's been a lot of mixing and matching and trying to figure out who plays best with who, especially after Hannafin and Anderson. I just, I worry a little bit. And the the fact that um, the fact they haven't found that six, and and I don't even know if they feel like they've got a viable seven right now. It all just it makes me wonder if going out and looking for another defenseman might be something that is not that far down the road. And we don't know when Oliver's returning. We don't know if Oliver's returning this season. So knowing that they'd also like to play Uyghur on the right, and Daryl Sutter has come right out and said that he wants to play Uyghur on the right, and they're more comfortable with, with McKenzie playing the strong side as opposed to his offside. It just, it just makes me wonder if between now and the trade deadline, a left-shot defenseman isn't something that they try to look for, somebody that can play in their top six. And if he's not in their top six every single night, at least they feel comfortable putting him in whenever as a number right. seven. And right now, they even, even when Stone returns, I don't think they've got a seven that they're feeling super comfortable with because it ain't Mackey right now. And I don't know if DeSimone or Gilbert are guys that they're feeling comfortable with playing a regular shift and, and being a, a guy who plays more regularly in a seven spot. Right. And, and I feel like one of the things that kind of comes up with this, at least lately is, well, you had Yusuf Balamaki, put him on waivers, but he, I don't think he was going to be the guy either. You know, he hadn't shown by the fact that he got cut in camp out of camp, excuse me, and waived and then picked up by Arizona. He hadn't shown that he could be the answer for the Calgary flames. When it well, comes to steadying that depth chart and steadying the third pair. And obviously it was different. You didn't have the Michael Stone injury. Um, you know, things were relatively healthy and Mackey had a better camp. But I don't think Yuso was going to be the answer either. And, and honestly, I'm glad he has a, a fresh start somewhere else. Well, I think he needed the fresh start. I don't think it was going to happen in Calgary. I, I think all the, – the last two, two and a half years for Yuso and all that's – I guess it was August of 2019 when the ordeal began. So it's been three years now that it's it's just not been – there's been very little positive or there had been very little positive in, in more than a three-year span from August 2019 to September 2022 for, for Yuso and the Flames. And I think the fact that there's pressure that goes along with being a first-round pick and there's pressure with bursting onto the scene and being good right from the get-go like he he made a team out of camp in in his second year with the organization and he came into a playoff series against Colorado in 2019 and for two or three games was one of their best players and and so expectations were very very high for the young man then the injury happens then COVID happens which delays things even more and let's let's be honest he he and Daryl, it, it wasn't a fit there, and it, it could have been. Who knows? I don't think it was going to be, but I, I just there wasn't a fit 
at the time uh, with the head coach and with Uso. And I, I just feel like, from what I know about the situation, I, I think that a change of scenery was was almost a necessity for for both sides. It wasn't going to work here, and they had a logjam on defense. And in a bubble, I think they made the right choice choosing Uso to go on waivers as opposed to Connor Mackey at the time. Now, Uso's been claimed by Arizona, and he's playing great. He's been one of their better players since he's been picked up there, and and it's a really good story for, for Valimaki. I just I don't think it was going to happen here. And there, you, can, you can criticize some of the handling, and I think there's a conversation to be had about some of the handling leading up to the decision to put him on waivers or leading up to the point where it was clear that he should have been the guy that went on waivers at, at this year's camp. But the actual decision to choose Mackey over Uso, well, Connor had the better camp than Uso did. And a change of scenery was something that I, I think that had he not been claimed on waivers, there probably would have been a trade pursued by the Flames to, to see if a change of scenery was something that could have helped you. So, so yeah, I, 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 I don't think that was going to be the answer in Calgary either. And it's great to see that he's thriving in Arizona, but let's be honest. Hale's like, it's, they're missing, they miss Oliver Shillington more yes. than I think maybe we thought they would when mm -hmm. we first heard that news. And nobody is trying to rush Oliver back. When no. he's ready to return, he'll return, and he deserves all the time and space and privacy, and 100% and I believe that. But from a straight-up hockey perspective, they miss him. They miss that pairing with Tanev and Shillington. They miss the ability to put Uyghur and Zadorov together because they play really well together as a pair, or at the very least have in the four or five preseason and regular season games they've played. Played together. It balances things. It sounds like I'm being derogatory to Stone. I'm not. Michael's been a great story. Um, but I, 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 I think they, I think they miss Oliver a lot and his speed and his transition. Um, and they're missing Michael Stone right now. They, they miss, they miss that shot. They miss the fact that he's been able to steady a pairing with, uh, with Nikita Zadorov. So they're missing some guys right now. And, and the fact that I don't think Stone's that too far off is good news because he was the one guy, even though he wasn't a prospect, Stoner was the one guy that came into camp and was able to stabilize the blue line, and they needed that. And then all of a sudden, right after Chris Tanev gets hurt, 28 seconds into the next game, Stone gets hurt, and now they've lost their most important guy and the guy that stabilized him. That's a lot to deal with. Yeah, I think when you – it's what's difficult is how many teams around the league who are going to be in playoff positions are also looking for a top four versatile <laughs> defender who can shore things up. And when you look at some of the pending unrestricted free agent defenders, there's not a ton of guys who you can look at and say, yeah, he's the one who's going to come in and make an impact on a cheap ticket. I mean – you know, we know that John Klingberg is going to be one. He's a right shot. Obviously, he's playing with the Anaheim Ducks. He's coming at a $7 million ticket. Matt Dumba, everybody has been talking about if he's going to get traded all of the time and he's got, you know, that local tie. Shane Gossespierre is interesting to me. I don't really know if he's someone you can use to, like, really shore up your blue line, although he's looked okay. I do think he's probably going to be someone that a team targets, but it's tough because you look at a lot of these guys who are on pending contracts as defensemen this season and and you know maybe they don't go for a rental we know Roger Living doesn't love rental contracts maybe they open it up and look at a guy who has a little bit more term on the deal 
but this is a tough thing. This is something that a lot of teams want. So it's a, we'll see. We'll see what happens with the Flames blue line. And I and I don't know if the maybe the issues on the blue line have been talked about enough in relation to maybe some of the the struggles that the Flames had in the seven game losing streak. I know you talked about it. I'm sure there's people who have, but I think a lot of that was going on Jake Markstrom, Jonathan Huberto's not working. I think we all mm-hmm. talked about Chris Tanev being out, but I think Oliver Shillington not being there as you said is is difficult. Like I think the, the there's should be a little bit more attention on on maybe the blue line with what's going wrong with the Flames, maybe more so putting the than putting the heat on uh, somebody like Jonathan Huberto. Anyways. Well, and you lose <laughs> Tanev. I mean, they, they just, they're a it's different huge. team. They're a they better team with out, Chris Tanev on, on it, right? They, like, he's so they're, important. They're better, they're better and, like, completely different when Tanev is in or out of the lineup. And they're going to have to because who knows? Chris might go down. If, if they want to win a Stanley Cup and if they want to win 16 games in April, May, and June – they they're, they might have to play four or five of them without Tanev. I don't know. Knock on wood, hopefully they don't. But you never know. You got you to gotta learn to play without that guy. But easier said than done when he's that important to their group. So it's kind of like, well, yeah, learn, learn to play without Chris Tanev. But also when he does that much for your five-on-five game and he's your very, like, without question, their most important penalty killer, um, that's that's a hard thing to do. Mm-hmm. Looking at the text line, 960-960, you guys can join on in the conversation. The text line is open, as always, here on Hockey Central. 960, one texter said, you know, brought up the fact that Yuso Valimaki had four different coaches during his Flames tenure, which is true. That is, I think, not only was it the injuries, but there was a lot of change and lack of stability. Think of how many coaches were there how many structural changes happened in terms of the systems. Think of how many D partners this guy had. So I'm with you, Pat. He needed he needed a fresh start somewhere with maybe a little bit more stability. Not that Arizona has a ton of it, but all that being said, I think everyone's kind mm-hmm. of on the same page with you. So although I think there's a question about, you know, a first-round pick and you don't get anything for him, eh. But anyways, I digress. Let's move on to the forward group, Pat. What seems to be working for Adam Rizicka right now? And I think the the, the interesting part of the Rizicka conversation at this point in the season after a couple games is I think we've all been looking for Rizicka to morph into this bottom six guy, and that's basically because of where we saw the holes in the lineup, some of the stuff we've heard from Daryl Sutter over the years. But he looks so much better at the top of the lineup. He is making an impact. So, like, what is working for Adam Rizicka other than the fact that he's being given this opportunity with Elias Lindholm and Tyler Toffoli? Well, number one, I do think playing with two of the three or four best forwards on the team this season is is huge. You know, I, I know there's plenty of people who are like, get to fully off that lie. Tyler's been one of their best forwards all year long. He's been productive. Yeah, I don't he's agree with that. <laughs> yeah, he's been he's been really good. And but I mean, you've got Elias Lindholm as your center. And after a I, I think a bit of a toe dipping in the water and an adjustment session through the first week or two of the season Every game, Elias looks more and more like the guy that was the runner-up for the Selkie Trophy last year. And the last two games, he's been the best player on the ice for any of the three teams. Uh, Winnipeg, Calgary, or Los Angeles, he was the best best player in Saturday's game. He was the best player in Monday's game. He's been dominant. He's been driving the line. And I think, I I honestly believe, I don't know this for sure, and I don't know if if Elias would ever admit to it, uh, but I, I think there was absolutely a little bit of, 
I've lost my two line mates from last year. I'm adjusting to playing with Tyler full time. I had Jonathan on my wing, and 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 I think I think having Rizichka come onto that line and not having Huberdeau, I think has given Elias a little bit more ownership. I think Lou talked about this in in the first couple of weeks of the season. Is that line with Huberdeau to Foley and Lindholm was trying to find their way, and he made a really good point. Like. I think that there's a little bit of deferring going on. You've got a player like Huberdeau on your line. He had a record for assists as a left winger last year. Daryl Sutter calls him the best playmaker the organization's ever seen, the best passer the organization's ever seen. I, I think you're like, well, I, I really want to make this work with Huberdeau, and I really want to you know, make sure that he has success with me, and, and maybe there's a little deferring going on. Well, now you bring a player like Rizichka onto the line, and this is no knock on Adam, but he's been great. I think that's, that's put a little bit of a fire under Elias. Like, okay, this is my line. I'm going to go drive this line. I'm the guy that is in the most important spot of this line. So I'm going to go out there and and I'm going to make this my line. And I, I think that you've seen it. I honestly, I think there's a lot of that going on right now in Elias's game. And I think I think it's just been a, a really nice fit for Adam because he can go and play simple and there's not as much for uh, a player in Daryl Sutter's type of hockey and what he wants his players to do. There's just a little bit less responsibility and on any team, but with this team, there's a lot of responsibility away from the puck on every player and more so placed on the center. And and so for him to play the left wing and just win battles on the wall and be able to make skilled plays, he's playing with a lot of confidence and he's he's playing more engaged. And that's the always been the issue with him is that when he's not engaged, he's not a very good hockey player, especially at the NHL level. But when he's engaged, when he's dialed, his skill comes to the forefront and his big body comes to the forefront. He's able to win puck battles. He's able to be an effective screen. That's that's one thing that he's done really well is make life difficult in front of opposing goaltenders. Some of those flash screens, some of those stationary screens. He's He's been a really nice fit. And I think, I think him... Coming in as an unproven guy and being put on Lindholm's left side, I think that has helped Lindholm really take ownership of his line. And I think for Toffoli has just been a steady, really good player on the right all year long. And and now you've got Adam who can just come in, play with two reliable, high hockey IQ players, and just be simple and and do the things that he does well. It's been a really good fit. And the way Huberto played with Backland, I'm intrigued to see a little bit more about that and. Uh, whether it's Lewis who remains there or somebody else, I just it was it, it was solid. Those were the two lines: the Backlund line, the Lindholm line. Those were the two that drove the bus against LA on Monday. I'm curious about the trickle down effect, and I'm glad you brought up Backlund and Huberto because I think what happens when you put Rizichka up in that line is yeah, you start looking at some different, maybe a little chaotic, little unique combos that we probably didn't think we'd be seeing. But I wonder if that lights a fire under guys who have now been pushed off that line or pushed out of the top six as a result. You're looking at Dylan Dubé down the lineup. You know, Andrew Mangiapane still trying to maybe find a spark, find his spot that works the most. Like, I, I wonder if guys see that and, and that lights a fire with other players as well, thinking, OK, well, I want that shot next. Or, or I don't want to be on the fourth line or the third line, although we know Daryl doesn't really number his lines in the same way. But I'm curious of the trickle-down effect of seeing Rizichka getting this top-line opportunity. I think it could, think it could work out the right way. Yeah, and, and I don't think, like, 
I think that there is, whether it is the direct intention or just a byproduct, but I do think it's a message to whether it's Dylan Dubé or Andrew Mangiapane or Blake Coleman. Say, like, hey, you know, there, here's this spot with a Selkie Trophy center and Tyler Toffoli that's open, and we're going to put in a guy who's played nine shifts or whatever it was or nine periods or three periods, whatever it was prior to Adam coming in uh, onto that line. We're going to put him there and not you. I, I think that absolutely is is more than just a subtle message. I think that's a, a very, very direct message that, hey, what, what's been being done elsewhere on the wing hasn't been good enough and hasn't yep. been what the group has needed. So, yeah, I, I yep. think there's absolutely a trickle down there. Absolutely. And I think it's important. We got uh, another note. Somebody on the text line says, good point, Pat. I'm not sure which one he's talking about because you made a few. But nice, nice job, Pat. Uh, I get one other... every once in a while. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you listen to enough Pat Steinberg on the radio, you're going to get good something point. good like, eventually. Just, I'm a volume <laughs> shooter. I just keep yeah. throwing everything. In the, uh, uh, eventually, one's going to get on net. Yeah, hell yeah. That's useful. People need guys like that. It's not all about XG and like high danger chances. Sometimes you just need shot volume. That's important. Yep. We know That's that. Me. <laughs> uh, one of the other messages on the text line is, you know, Adam Rzichka did did what um, should have been done. They they mentioned Sam Bennett. You know, Rzichka did what Bennett should have done and never ended up doing. He seized a limited opportunity and is forcing their hand. Yep. He got on the top line. He got a little shot and looks great so far. So that is a credit to Adam Rzichka for being ready for the opportunity and taking it. And we'll see how far he can run with it. Um, last one for you, Pat, before we let you go, because we got to head to break in a minute, looking ahead to this game against the Tampa Bay lightning on Thursday night. What's uh what's a major key for you against a lightning team that is kind of catching on their role. They, they're not as bad as they were in the first week or so of yeah. the season. We know that we knew that to be true. So what's a major key for tomorrow against Tampa Bay? Well, the big thing for me is uh, they still seem really suspect in their transition defense. It's something that uh, was very strong for them last year. It just, and I think part of it is not having Tanev. I think part of it is still a lot of guys that are adjusting and, but it's been something that, you know, trailers and third guys on the attack have been very, very wide open far too often this year for the Flames liking. And when you're talking about a team that coached by John Cooper, you know, they, they are a very strong puck possession team and they can cycle you to death. But, you know, they're one of the two or three most dangerous transition groups in the NHL. They can do it on the back. But when you're talking about some of those players that as soon as the puck touches their stick in the defensive zone, they are like rocket ship to the other side of the ice. You cannot be allowing that that third player that much open space and you can't make or can't allow teams to be as quick and speedy and direct through the neutral zone as they've been at times this year. And, and, you know, they did a better job against the Kings on Monday doing that, but it was still suspect against Winnipeg. It was one of the things, and it's not the entire game, but there's stretches where it's just too loose for their liking. So that's got to be really buckled up against Tampa or else they absolutely will torture. Mm -hmm. Great stuff, my friend. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for the for the pop punk emo Taylor Swift chat off the top. That's my. Uh, <laughs> that's what's your What's the number one Mariana's trench song? <laughs> um, what's the I one like stutter. extra I extra? 
That's a or solid testing, one. Testing, testing. You had and I might not one. be the best thing. I'm going to stop singing uh, on the radio now. Yeah, you go to break. I say stutter. That's the number one Mariana's <laughs> Trench song. Bye, Haley. <laughs> Amazing. Bye, Pat. Thank you. There goes Pat Steinberg on the Atlas Pizza guest hotline. That conversation and the singing brought to you by Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar, the 14-time Consumer Choice Award winner for takeout or delivery. Call 403-248-3344 or dine in at Atlas Pizza, 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. Coming up on Hockey Central 960, we're going to talk to Corey Massasak from The Athletic about the San Jose Sharks. You're listening to Hockey Central 960 with Haley Salvian on your home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Welcome back to the show. Final segment of Hockey Central on Sportsnet 960. I have to apologize to everyone for what was a really chaotic (laughs) first 30 minutes of this program. Uh, I yelled about Taylor Swift. I talked about way too much Mariana's Trench, and I sung at the end. Uh... It's fine. It's fine. I've got to add, this is one thing, and someone on the text line said, more Haley singing, it's beautiful. You're lying, but thank you. I've got to ask, so our next guest on the Atlas Pizza Hotline is Corey Massasak. He is the San Jose Sharks writer at The Athletic, one of my colleagues at the company. Corey, as an American, when I'm talking about Mariana's Trench, do you know what that means? (laughs) Uh, No, well, I, no, probably not. (laughs) <laughs> it it's CanCon. It's one of those Canadian bands that is just like completely pumped on the radio when you're growing up because radio guidelines have certain amounts of like Canadian content that needs to be played. So a certain percentage okay. has to be CanCon. So anytime I, I talk about what my favorite Taylor Swift song was, and I was getting worried about that question. So okay. <laughs> oh, do you not like her? Is that, is that going to be a problem? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> It's all I don't right. have a particular uh, attachment to her. You don't have strong that. feelings about it. It's it's no. fine. I've talked yeah. about Taylor Swift too bad. much. It's just not, uh, yeah. I promised the listeners I would stop. This is it. I'm done. We're not talking about it. So it's fine. I'm glad you don't like her because we're not doing this. Because I wanted to bring you on to talk about the San Jose Sharks. And this was on the radar because they've had a a you know a better stretch. Things are looking better than a difficult start to the season for San Jose. Uh, Eric Carlson has been awesome. And then we hear the GM's meetings yesterday, uh, Tuesday night, Mike Greer. It's only his second GM's meetings, and he's making waves, talking about how the Sharks would listen um, if there's trade offers for Eric Carlson. Um, Is everyone taking this and running a little too far with it in the sense that everyone's like, oh, my God, Eric Carlson's going to be traded? Like, can you give us an accurate kind of temperature check? Of when when you see this news from last night and the quotes from Mike Greer, like how realistic is this that that Eric Carlson could be on the move? Well, yeah, I don't think it's you know if we were going to put like a percentage of you know odds on it or whatever, it, it it's not that likely. I mean, there there's just you know look every team in the league would like to have Eric Carlson in November 22 playing November 20th of 2022 playing the way that he is. I mean, he's literally been one of the five or seven best players in the league so far. That's been amazing, but he has a no movement clause. And um, I mean, pretty I big ticket story. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and, and he has like literally the biggest uh, among all defensemen <laughs> in the league. And he, there are four more years left on it. Like if he was, you know, if he was in like Patrick Kane and Jonathan Tate's situation where the contract was running out, then I think the line at the door would be very long, but 
yeah, trying to figure out who might be willing to take on the next four seasons of him because as this 17 or 18 game stretch has been amazing. The rest of his time in San Jose hasn't been that amazing. Uh, there have been stretches like this, not maybe not quite as good as this, but like close to it. But he's also missed like 25 to 30 games in three of the four seasons that he's been here. So, uh, and he's 32 years old. And again, like it's literally 11 and a half million dollars a year for the next four years. So, the, I mean, the money is not that much, but the cap hit is prohibitive. So, you know, it's it's become. I mean, it's kind of been a topic of conversation here for a while. It sort of got stoked up a little bit more yesterday, I guess, because of what, what Mike. I mean, Mike had also, you know, Pierre LeBron had reported a couple weeks ago that Mike was willing to listen on everybody but Tomas Hurdle. So this isn't really uh, that different. It's just that Carlson has been so good that it's like, well, maybe his trade value is changing, or maybe somebody would be willing to risk the last couple of years of that contract if he, they think he can play like this for the next couple of years. So yeah, I, sure. They're they're in a weird spot because. They've got all these, you know, they've they've got maybe the worst cap friendly page in the entire league, and trying to sort all of that out and figure out if they can rebuild or should they rebuild, while they're also still maybe like they still have good players and they're kind of playing pretty good hockey right now. It's 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 definitely a tricky spot for the GM. Right, right. I think even if the the Sharks were going to retain fifty percent of his salary, it's hard to find a team that would have the cap space to make that work and the, you know, the player contract that they can move out to make it work. That is going to be someone that they want to get rid of and someone that the sharks are okay bringing in. You know, everyone's been kind of talking about the Ottawa senators in the last 24, 12 hours, however long it's been that we've been doing this. And I think, you know, everyone that San Jose would be interested in from the Ottawa Senators is somebody that the Ottawa Senators would probably say, nope, that's untouchable. So it's really difficult you're to, to they find. <laughs> They're not going to give Josh Norris back. Josh Norris and Tim Stutzel for, for, for <laughs> No, we're not redoing this. We're not, we're not <laughs> yeah, yeah, erasing yeah. the trade tree, although that'd be really funny. I also think that really it's funny. important to point out that, like, that has been, like, what could you get for Carlson at 50% retained? Like, that's, like, the number one question that everybody has. Uh, the answer is, that, like, the Sharks aren't going to do that. Like, that, that, I mean, they're, it doesn't matter. I don't know what the, what the you know, return Why everyone's just be. assuming that's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, because, that, I mean, that, that is literally, like, $23 million of dead cap space uh, over the next four years. And they already have a little over 2 million for the next three years with Brent Burns's contract. And they bought out Martin Jones a few years ago and that right. still runs until like 2027 there. I mean, I think, I think he will listen on deals where there's a little bit of money retained, but I think they're, I mean, if there, if there was, you know, some perfect storm of a scenario that you could drop where there's a team with a bad contract out there that they'd be willing to flip. that's shorter than the one that, that, that that's shorter than Eric's, or there's a place that he'd really want to go to and they have the caps, whatever. Like it's it they're not gonna I don't think the Sharks are gonna retain five point seven five million dollars a year for the next four seasons. Right. Yeah, and I mean they've got Brent Burns dead cap and they've got the Martin Jones buyout on the books until twenty twenty seven, which isn't a ton of money, but I don't I don't think they're gonna wanna have, you know, more than six million dollars in dead cap space or whatever on top of you know, everything else that's going on. So I'm with you. I'm glad we got that on here because everyone's talking about 50% retained. I don't really, whatever, maybe they'll surprise us, but I'm with you. I don't, I don't know how that's going to work. 
So the Sharks had a pretty fun game last night. They rally. They beat the Golden Knights. That's their third straight win. That was a pretty fun game to watch. What was like a big takeaway for you last night with watching this game and, and what seems to be working in this last stretch for the Sharks that maybe wasn't during a, a pretty bad start to the season? Yeah, I mean, the first you know handful of games, I mean, pretty much nothing was working. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. you know, I mean, Carlson has been great pretty much from the start of the season. He's been all he he has also been much better since the first five or six games. Uh, but I mean, I think the the biggest thing is like, you know, the, they've got four very you know like high you know the guys who are getting paid the most money, the high end guys. It's him and then Timo Meyer and Tomas Hurdle and Logan Couture. Those three guys. They combined for four points in the first five games of the season, like one or two goals, and now they're all scoring at like a point per game over the last whatever it is, twelve or thirteen games. So, and the special teams have been both both sides of the special teams have been good. The Sharks have had a good PK for like three years now, but like the, the power play hasn't been very good. It's suddenly like coming at like thirty percent over the last ten games, and James Reimer has been like solid. Like he's he's just a you know a solid to slightly above average some nights uh, goalie and. That's a pretty simple like if you if you have your if your four best players are playing well and you're winning the special teams battle almost every night and you're getting decent goaltending that's a pretty good like, recipe for anybody really and so right. that's that's been the main thing really it's, it's basically those three things. Mm-hmm. So the Sharks are six nine and three. They're one point back of the Calgary Flames actually, although they have. You know, they played three more games in Calgary. But looking at the Pacific Division and looking at how Vegas is off to a great start, the Kings look good, the Seattle Kraken look way better than last year. Um, Like, the Pacific, is it better this season than you thought it would be? Like, is this a more challenging division than you maybe expected? Or is this what you thought a team like the Sharks would be facing? Uh, that's a good question. I hadn't really thought about the division. I, I guess just because <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I really haven't, to be perfectly honest, I really haven't like considered the Sharks as a potential playoff team that much. I mean, right. I just thought like at the beginning of the season, like so many things had to go right just for them to be even in the hunt. And that's, I mean, honestly, that's, I think that's a big takeaway from the past 10 or 12 games is like a lot of things are going right for them right now, which is, you know, good for them. Like they're doing a lot of good things. It's just that, I mean, they're just like one injury or one, any one of those like five or six things that are going right. Just if one of those things doesn't go right, we've we've already seen it. Like they can they play well and lose. Like that. I mean, they've even. I mean, they've won six games uh, in like the last thirteen, but they've also lost three or four games in there where it was like, man, they played well in this game, but they just weren't. They were just weren't good enough to win. So, um, I mean, I do think the Pacific. Like, I mean, Vegas was obviously a weird team last year, and the fact that they've sort of maybe figured their their stuff out uh, definitely. Like I, I don't think it was that good of a division last year, obviously, and like them turning back into you know one of the league's best teams certainly like put them with the two Alberta teams, and suddenly you've got something there. Like you know, there's three really good teams, and then uh, yeah, I mean, I you know Seattle could be. I, I think any of the other teams could probably be the fourth. Maybe, maybe LA should be favored for that, but Seattle's been plucky, and the Sharks have started to look kind of plucky the past couple weeks. Um, I don't, you know, Vancouver seems like they're a mess and. Anaheim is a long ways off, but uh, yeah. yeah so they still I, haven't I, won in I regulation. I do a routine check. Have they won yet? Nope. They're the only okay. team with a zero. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, no, I, I do think that like just having Vegas and the two Alberta teams be as good as they are or should be makes it a much better division than it was maybe right. last year. 
So one more Eric Carlson question for you, because we've talked about that he's been good and he's been better than the start of the season. But I mean, I want to get more context into just how good he's been. You had a really good story on The Athletic about how, you know, Carlson is on track to do more than ever for the San Jose Sharks. And some of his early numbers are kind of on track with his Norris caliber level when he was with the Ottawa Senators. Uh, One of the stories I did over the weekend was kind of looking at the, um, you know, season preview predictions and Eric Carlson had zero votes for the Norris in the preseason. And one month into the season, he has uh, the second most votes for who the athletic staff thinks is going to win the Norris. I'm big on the early Carlson for Norris thing because he's been really good. Uh, And I think maybe if he's still up there at the end of the season, people are going to just assume like this is his last shot. So let's, (laughs) let's give it to Eric Carlson because McCarr is going to win a ton of them. But where do you stand on that? Like, can you just contextualize how good Eric Carlson has been early on in the season? Yeah, I think, I I mean, I think it's going to be hard for him to sort of keep pace with McCarr and Adam Fox and, um, and those guys offensively. I mean, he's, you know, he's, he scored a bunch of goals uh, already, but I mean, goals for a defenseman generally are, I, I saw Dom's projection has him for 24 goals and 70 points, which would be amazing. I mean, that's, that's like, that's some vintage Eric Carlson stuff right there, but, the, but it also did not even make him like the, I think he, the, you know, the number one defenseman in goals, but not like third or fourth in points. Um, you know, I, he, I think he's been the best offensive defenseman in the league so far, and his defense has been like league average, which would be in, in a weird kind of backhanded way is is like much better than what people generally think it is some years. So, you know, if he was really if he really does keep up the offensive production and he stays in the conversation, you know, I mean, people are going to say, well, he doesn't play on the PK, which didn't really seem to bother. Roman Yossi's chances last year, he almost, he played like 10 seconds a game on the, on the PK last year. And he, yeah, was and he got, right I think he with, got more first place votes than McCarr did last year. Yeah. But he also had like almost a hundred points. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that so, too. I mean, it's, it's a weird, I, I think we've gotten away from that a little bit. Like it, you know, it's, I, I'll say this. It, I don't really like the idea of the MVP being like a guy from the eighth or ninth place team. And it's like, Oh, well he carried them into the playoffs. I mean, I, I covered Taylor Hall whenever he won the MVP that way. Sure. But, like, Eric Carlson has been the most valuable defenseman to his team. Like, I mean, that's not even – that's without question. I mean, that he is so far and away better than everybody else that they have. But I don't know if that necessarily makes him, like, the best defenseman in the league. I think he's absolutely deserves to be in that discussion right now. And if he stays healthy and plays even, like, close to what he's doing right now, he's going to be in that discussion. I just don't know if – you know, I mean, it's just – it's hard for me to think that, like – like I think Kale McCarr has even kind of had like a bit of a slow start to the season, and he's still like right there with him in points <laughs> per game. So right. I think it's entirely possible that like by the end of the year, you know, Carlson could have 20 goals and 65 points, and then everybody will be raving about how he's had this like renaissance season. And then oh yeah, oh, by the way, like Kale McCarr has like 89 points. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> right. It just you know so it it would be it would definitely be cool I think for him to like you know, be one of the finalists and get to go to Nashville or whatever, something like that. It would be sort of like a, it would definitely be like a, you know, kind of a, one of the best stories of the NHL season. If he gets to be, if he really can keep this up. Um, so yeah. All right. Well, thanks for coming on here and, you know, pouring water on my crazy Carlson for Norris hot take. <laughs> I appreciate it. This is why we bring in the experts on the show to check my 
weird, I don't know, stupid takes. It's not stupid, but thanks, Corey. I appreciate you coming on. <laughs> yeah, anytime. Thanks for having me. All right. There goes Corey Massasak from The Athletic. He covers the San Jose Sharks on the Atlas Pizza Hotline. That chat brought to you by Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar, the 14-time Consumer Choice Award winner. For takeout or delivery, call 403-248-3344 or dine in at Atlas Pizza 6060 Memorial Drive. Northeast. Just a reminder as we end the show here that you can listen to Hockey Central 960 on demand. That's Apple, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a rating and review. We'd appreciate that very much. Appreciate that. Wow. That wasn't English. We'll be back on Thursday at one o'clock on Sports at 960. Thanks for listening.